podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us this is the fear of god speaking to you right now is one of your hosts nathan rouse and typically doing the twist with me is fellow co-host reed lackey and guys reed was here but he had to go catch some grasshoppers i really hope he washes his hands afterwards while we wait on Reed, I do want to introduce and welcome back to the show, Friend of the Fog, uh, most recently heard on 2022.2's series entry on the Black Phone, author and academic Brandon Grafius. Brandon, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me on, Nathan. I'm excited for this conversation. Absolutely. With apologies, I'm going to go ahead and let listeners know that by the end of today's conversation, one of us will have to sacrifice another one of us um while we start kind of paper rock scissoring to see who it'll be permit me to remind listeners that here at the fear of god we explore we don't explain except for right now when i explain that you can find all things foggy at the fear of god such as and especially how to support us on patreon more in that momentarily because <laughs> who is that knocking on the door but the one and only co-host reed lackey reed hello hey, I have Hello. had a doozy of a day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what did I, what did I miss? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> possibly a lot. Um, Reed, uh, Brandon is here. Reed say hello to Brandon. Brandon. It is so good to see you again, man. How are you <laughs> doing? Well, so good to see you again, Reed. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Oh, this is fun. Reed's Reed. You're going to love this edit. So We've got a couple. We've got a couple of business points to attend to um, uh, before we get to our main discussion for today. One listener, if you are finding us for the first time today, welcome, and know that you have caught us having a grand old time in the middle of our current series, the Shamalama Rama. Okay, uh, <laughs> Brandon, go for it. Say it. Shamalama Rama. There it is. <laughs> Absolutely. It. We are on at the Fear of God doing the twist all across the catalog of director M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, today's conversation is going to feature a patron discussion of Apple TV Plus's series Servant, specifically the first three episodes of season two. Uh, and we'll also be discussing Shyamalan's most recent film, Knock at the Cabin. Business point 1.5. Don't forget, it's been mentioned a couple times already. Submit your do the twist videos. We're going to get guests to record themselves uh, uh, and listeners uh, videoing themselves doing the twist to the Shamalamarama theme song. Uh, listen to it. Record yourself with some friends or family doing the twist. Submit it and you can win a movie. That was 1.5. I've got a couple of these. Two. Hey, we have relaunched the Fog merch store. Go to the website. Click the link on the banner. You'll see it. It's pretty evident. We've got refreshed. It's a live art from Jacob Hunt for 2023 as well 
has Shamalamarama t-shirts. That's right. A first ever series specific t-shirt is up in the shop and you can get that shirt today for 10% off using promo code twist. That's right. 10% off for promo code twist. If you're a patron, we will post a code to the feed for 20% off your whole order. Hey, Reed, remind me to post a code to the <laughs> patron feed of how to get 20% off. Make, making, uh, making note now. <laughs> real time. Um, <laughs> we've got a happy hour horror hangout. If you're coming at this point, you're coming at this point. It's happening this weekend. Uh, you got to be a patron to join it. There's going to be an invite there. Happy hour horror hangouts are a grand old time where we just mm-hmm. hang out without the uh, hang out without the mics or the recorders on with our patrons. Last business note, last business note, I promise, is related to the related to the other two. And it's simply, hey, listener, join Patreon. If you enjoy the fear of God, benefits of being a patron include longer episodes featuring bonus content like today's segment featuring servant. It's also how you can participate in online events such as Fogoween each October and the forthcoming this weekend happy hour horror hangout. But when you join Patreon, it benefits us as well, growing our capacity to do more, to sound better, to reach more listeners, to be the best fog we can be. That is enough business for now. Uh, Guest, hold your horsemen's for a moment or keep hashing out who's going to live past the next two hours. Reed and I are going to do the twist into the Apple TV Plus series Servant uniquely for our patrons, where we'll be joined by a special guest. But we'll be right back to y'all momentarily so we can together knock at the camera. The twist, do the twist, do the twist, Shamalamarama, do the twist, do the twist, do the twist, Shamalamarama, do the twist, do the twist, do the twist, Shamalamarama. So about this movie, um, real quick, we are going to be talking about or, or very momentarily we're going to be talking about knock at the cabin i'm going to give us a brief summary uh from the apple movies listing uh and then a quick note so the summary on knock at the cabin is from visionary filmmaker m night Shyamalan comes a thriller about a tight-knit family who are taken hostage by four armed strangers while vacationing at a remote cabin the visitors demand that the young girl and her parents make an unthinkable choice save their family or save humanity um Mm-mm. so we're going to lead off with some that ain't rights uh uh so gentlemen consult your notes but two quick notes here uh from yours truly one we actively chose to drop this movie into the middle of shamalamarama that was a conscious choice um mm-hmm. even though it is shammy's most recent uh release and Honestly, it was the more we saw chatter around the film, even in our fear of God, you know, communities, uh, the more pressure it felt got applied to this conversation and kind of, I think Reed, I speak, I I can, I'm speaking for you a little bit, but feel free to throw in here. Like we, one, didn't want it to be the last word on the series. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And two, it just, it was like, it felt like too much pressure. It's like, we're we're not going to solve this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so instead let's just jump right out in front of it and uh and I'll, I'll also echo you know like just a sort of an urgency of the moment you know like it's it a lot of people have either seen it recently or have discussed it recently and so kind of saying like yeah the thoughts are percolating now uh we are never a show that is driven by 
a, a severe degree of timeliness, you know, like we don't have to be on the cutting edge of a release, but you know, it helps if this is what's in the imaginations to go ahead and explore the conversation together. So yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I already invoked the fact that Brandon was previously on the black phone, wherein if you, if you did listen to that episode, especially if you're a patron present inside of that patron segment is a brief discussion of knock at the cabin. So it yeah. is appropriate that uh, it is us here discussing this, but kind of my last note here is just kind of a disclaimer, I think, which is to say mm -hmm. that on the show a lot, um, we say we explore, we don't explain. And I, I, I am putting forth rarely. Does it feel like there've been more relevant moments of reminding listeners of that? Um, that, <laughs> that this is, this is, this movie is possibly, I think, uh, uh, how I received this movie was as a pretty charged piece of material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and we here in this conversation are not going to collectively land at some particular take as much as my hope is it's just to openly and in safe company uh, kind of contend with the things this movie turns up. So yeah, absolutely. You know, every good. now and then yep. people just want, you know, what does this thing mean? Like we are not here to do that for you. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that would be a sort of disservice to the material and to, to kind of listeners time. So, you know, perhaps some odd notes to start on, but it just felt worth mentioning in the words you of know, Indiana Jones, the philosophy class is down the hall. If you want truth, that's uh, <laughs> the philosophy class is down the hall. Look at you. So. <laughs> I like Sorry. it. Uh, no, because they give you fine. straight answers is what they do in philosophy class, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to start with you, Brandon. So typically, you know, when we have a guest on formally and, and it's, it's discussing a piece of material like, you know, one feel total freedom to to uh, plug the article that we reference in the patron segment that that you and jr um uh, occasional guest jr in front of the show uh uh penned together uh, an interview with paul tremblay author of the the novel upon which the film is based um so you know talk about the the sort of path that led you there like and and, and culminating in if you if you can like what was your interest level excitement level and thus experience of seeing this movie for the first time mm. so i i read the book first um so it's kind of hard for me to separate out my experience of seeing the movie for the sure. first yeah. time with without sure. having read uh, you know trying to sort out how i would respond to the movie without having read the book and that's that's pretty difficult um i i, I never like to compare movies and books because they're different art forms Right. At the same time, you also can't help it just as a, a fan. Right. Um, Tremblay is mm -hmm. one of my favorite contemporary horror authors. I, I think yeah. uh, Knock at the Cabin, you know, based on Cabin at the End of the World, Cabin at the End of the World might be my third or fourth favorite book of his. I think Head Full of Ghosts is probably one of the, at least one of my favorite horror novels of the last decade or so. Just, Wonderful. Just love yeah. that one. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I had been uh, connected to to Paul Tremblay through through a friend. Um, I, Scott Poole has been a big supporter of my work. I don't know if you're familiar with his. Oh, I love uh, his historian. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, he Dark Carnival. With, mm -hmm. Yeah, Dark Carnival is so good. Um, Wonderful stuff. Is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That was how um, I first. I'm sorry to derail you, but that was no how problem. I first stumbled upon it. Is uh, is his book Wasteland hit my radar completely. Uh, you know, just like, I think one of those Amazon recommends where they're okay. just like, Hey, Reed, you would like this. And I, and I did. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry to derail you. No, no problem. So I, I reached out to him when I was looking for endorsers for lurking under the surface. And he said, Hey, I think I, you know, I, I'm pretty good friends with, with Paul. I think I can get you in touch. 
Mm. Um, so I got him to, to blurb lurking under the surface. And then when JR and I were thinking about what we might do to, um, you know, tag team an article together, we started thinking about, hey, well, knock at the cabins just out. And I, I bet if I fire off an email to, to Paul Tremblay, he'd be interested in responding to some questions. And mm. he was certainly up for it. So we were, were thankful for that. It gave us a chance to to kind of pick his brain about where he was going at with the novel, the the differences that because the film makes some major changes to to what happens in the novel and that really end up changing the the entire worldview or the mm -hmm. uh, yeah the underlying philosophy class down the hall so to speak <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah some it was was an interesting conversation with with Tremblay. Um, he just one of the nuggets that I found fascinating to share was or was him talking about how he came up with the idea for it. Um, he said it was not actually from that um, the moral dilemma, the ethical choice of what would you do to save the world. That it was, I'd seen so many home invasion movies where the invaders do all sorts of horrible things to the the homeowners, and I just thought, well, what would happen if they invaded and instead they started killing themselves? Mm. And now mm -hmm. how do I how do I write a story that gets me there? Yeah. Wow. But that was a just a fascinating insight into how that kind of a creative mind works. That um that's definitely uh coming at it from a different angle than I would have expected. But well, sure. And, and how would that. you you know to you was viewing the film kind of a just an interesting counterpoint to the the text of the novel or or like what was that experience like for you i i was ex excited to see what um Shyamalan would do with it um and yeah i guess i was excited to see or at least highly interested to see how Shyamalan's worldview would connect with the worldview of the book the book is deeply pessimistic about humanity about society about human systems and Shyamalan. I would venture as the most optimistic horror auteur that I I can think of um, to a fault. Like I, yes, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember a Wes Craven interview where Craven said that he thought a really good horror director doesn't have the audience's best interest at heart. That <laughs> 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 you yeah. you have a sense that that he's maybe not going to be nice to you. And Shyamalan, yeah, as as you say, to a fault is is quick to if he shows you something ugly, he's going to console you right immediately afterwards yeah. and let you know that yeah. it's okay. Yeah, um, and oh. and the movie really really plays into that. It it is it is this vision of Tremblay filtered through the the humanistic optimism of of Shyamalan. Right. Can you can you? So I personally have not read the novel, but I did you know do some 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 interneting on some of the differences, but Brandon, do you mind for those who might not have read the novel? Like, can you identify, like you specifically sure. stated a minute ago of just some pretty crucial differences. Can you, you know, what are, what are some majors, you know, don't feel like you have to get didactic and do everything, but like, yeah. what are, what are some of the major differences? The, the, the major one is that the ending is different in, yeah. in the ending, Eric, Andrew, and when refuse to make a choice, they decide that if, if these four horsemen are, truly prophets and have some insight into the divine. This isn't a reality that they're willing to support. Um, yeah. They, they don't want any part of it. And so if that means the whole world ends, well, then maybe the world, maybe it's time for the world to end because I'm not mm -hmm. going to be a part of supporting this kind of an unjust system. Yeah. It's interesting because there's a lot of comparison to that ideology 
just thinking of cabins and end of worlds and everything like obviously cabin in the woods very different sure. horror film but um you know it, that's that's a comparable choice that's made at the end of that film. exactly and it's made in a um, smart ass way at the end of that film yeah, but yeah, it, it's absolutely. still exactly the same kind of choice yeah i can't absolutely. remember exactly what the line that she says but something like maybe maybe somebody else deserves a chance or something like that yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly and you know that one also does what uh Shyamalan does in this film and you know specifically indicate that like yeah the uh the choice at hand was true <laughs> like mm-hmm. the cho- like the stakes were real yeah that that having been said uh the you know Shyamalan took it a different direction and Cabin in the Woods took it a completely different direction and Tremblay's novel uh if my memory serves I didn't reread it for this conversation but had read it with some degree of proximity uh within the last couple of years yeah um and uh and if I remember correctly like you know, at the end, they basically just, you know, he doesn't, Tremblay doesn't resolve that tension for you to where like, there's a lot of evidence that uh, is hard to dismiss that the stakes were really at play, but it, the tension is unresolved as to like exactly what it is because they don't make a choice. Um, yeah. And so because they don't make a choice, we are left with them and their uh, unwillingness to support an unjust system. I love the way you put that. Um, and And to kind of opt out and be like, well, if, if if this is how it works, then it it probably doesn't deserve to continue. If this yeah, is how it yeah. if how it works, hmm. yeah. And and the the article that Jr. and I wrote kind of approached it from the the angle of of um, ethics in terms of utilitarian versus a Kantian Kantian kind of deontological mm-hmm. idea, where you you say in in utilitarian ethics, clearly the the choice is well, you you kill one person to save a bunch of people. Yeah. In in a, a Kantian worldview, it's no, it's whether the is the action right in and of itself. And that's what matters more than results, more than outcomes. It's about is it inherently moral and right? And if it is, yeah. then you do it regardless of what the outcomes are. Yeah, exactly. I think what's interesting to me, um, and, and I apologize if I'm stealing a little thunder from either Nathan or Brandon. I think I'll, uh, if it's okay with you, if, with you both, uh, I'll just share a little bit of my kind of going into this film. Um, so I knew uh, the, I, I didn't read the book before, like proximally before going into the film, but knew the story had read the book before. And so like when I went into the film, I didn't remember the book well enough to know like, Oh, these are all the different things. I, once it started diverging at the end, I was like, Oh, this, this is new. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. I was like, I don't know what it is. That ain't right. But, <laughs> but um, but then, you know, like coming out of it, I saw it with a buddy of mine and coming out of it, we didn't really know how to feel about it. We were just kind of mm-hmm. like, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, you know, I need to sit with it for a little bit. I need to think about it a little bit. I'm not quite sure exactly what I, what I make of it. I will probably come back to this a little bit. The, the boogie shoes of it all was one of the things that pinged in my heart um, as like, okay, I can, I think I can kind of tuck my imag- imagination into that place and play in that sandbox for a little bit. Uh, it's not neat. It's not tidy, but it is a, a vision of we're going to be okay and life and love go on that, you know, resonates largely with, with my preferred sensibilities, um, but didn't really know how to feel about it. So I was anxious and eager to watch it again for this conversation coming into it uh, a bit gloves on, honestly, where I was a little bit like, okay, I know what this film offered up. I know some of the dialogue around it. Let me see if I can ascertain a little bit of exactly what um, what needs to happen here. 
Um, what basically I walked away with after that was that I feel like, and I feel like this is going to happen a lot for these Shyamalan revisits, is that the things that I liked, I I liked even more than I liked before, and the things that I didn't like, I liked even less than than I did before. Uh, I said that for our conversation about old. Uh, I just feel like that's that's going to be a, a repeated refrain. But I feel like the problem that I have with Knock at the Cabin is that it handles what it's dealing with relatively irresponsibly. Um, this is something that Nathan and I discussed a little bit off pod. Um, a little I think bit. We discussed <laughs> it for at length. But, um, but I, I feel like one of, uh, and I'll make this statement about Shyamalan to just kind of kick the door down on his uh, filmography. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll kick, uh, I will, I'm not knocking. I am okay. I am the one who knocks uh, to quote a Breaking Bad, but um, I will uh, sort of just dive right in in this sense that I think Shyamalan has some problems with the big world stuff that he does, uh, like the ramifications more broadly for his uh, for for the world or for the result that he's given. I think where he's better is in the more intimate, more uh, quiet, more singular character focused moments those kind of things his sensibilities land with me more than the ramifications or implications surrounding you know what he wants to do or what he wants to say about the world and how it works and i feel that way from through most of his films like we just covered uh we we revisited a conversation on the village last week i feel like the choice that the elders have made and make at the end of the village is super problematic but Ivy and Lucius, like I'm with them. Like the 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 lovers at the center, like I am with them. I feel exactly for them and about them as I think Shyamalan wants me to feel. In many ways, my sympathies in this one pivot more strongly towards Eric, Andrew, and Wynn and what they had before them and how they kind of walk away than I do for the ramifications of what he's trying to say about the world and how it works in the end. I, I don't know if that's the cleanest most direct way to ascribe my feelings but that's that was something that solidified for me with knock at the cabin is i don't feel Shyamalan does great at presenting what i would call worldviews but i think he's perhaps pretty above average uh talented at intimate quiet moments with with little people that that i think land more effectively um so anyway i don't know if any of that resonates but that's that's uh yeah that's my feelings yeah i feel the things i liked most about knock at the cabin um that opening scene of leonard and Wen catching grasshoppers is is magical yes and then Mm -hmm. the moment when when you realize there are other people coming through the woods is Mm -hmm. uh, for me genuinely terrifying yeah Yeah. um Mm -hmm. leonard's death is heart-wrenching really beautiful Um, yeah that one hit me yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I think you're you're right on that Shyamalan is so much better when he's doing those kinds of of moments, those kinds of relationships, as opposed to Grandma says hi. Um, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. For me, Grandma that like hi, Brandon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For me, that that quote sums up like Shyam- my my problems with Shyamalan's entire filmography. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great! That's so great. So Nathan, Brandon, and I have waxed poetic. I know you're sitting on some thoughts. What do you what do you think? What do you feel? What are you thinking, feeling? I think and feel so much. I contain multitudes. Um <laughs> That's a Bob Dylan song that I love. From a Whitman quote. It is. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I contain multitudes. 
Um, <laughs> so, oh, uh, <laughs> the Brandon, welcome to the fear of God once more. And <laughs> so there were, there were two films going into this series that I knew were going to be lightning rods, uh, for, for a little bit different reasons, but a bit similar to one was this and one is glass. I'm probably going to just get out of the way for read come glass, though. I will attempt to present maybe a counter, but not, <laughs> not with any super strict of conviction. No. Cause I know his, his love there is deep. Um, I do love glass. I love glass. And I, I know <laughs> and the audience will too. It will actually be the first fear of God episode without me at all. And only you, <laughs> it I've, just got, be, I've got my script written already. It'll, it'll, yeah, it'll be, of... it'll be your feature commentary. Oh, and this part is so good. <laughs> and that's I all love, I, I love when Sarah Paulson adopts this weird affectation for her entire performance. And they all just sit around in a room together, staring at each other and talking, you know, it's like the this first is commentary where writing. I pause and rewind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's watch okay. this again. So, sorry. No, that's okay. That's good. I, I opened that door. I knocked at that cabin. Um, <laughs> Brandon, you've got kids. I, I can't remember exactly ages, but I know at least one, maybe more are getting into this genre world and, and kind of in, in uh, digesting some of this material alongside you. And I have begun some of that path, uh, uh, specifically of chamois stuff. My, kids uh my oldest two have watched sixth sense and they've watched the village um and it's funny when knock at the cabin came out i entertained because my middle kid is a bit more adventurous on what she'll watch and and i was kind of like is this is this the the chamois big screen that i take this kid to and and i got about an i don't know 30 45 close to an hour in and i was like hmm i'm glad i did not bring my 12 year old to this not because I was actively offended by anything or, or, you know, anything such as that. It was more, I didn't know the existential weight the film had at its core. And I was kind of thankful. I was like, man, I'm really glad I did not. This is, this is a lot bigger than a little kid sees ghosts and you don't know it until the end. It's Shyamalan's first R rated movie, right? Uh, Second. Uh, second what else the happening was rated r oh yeah that's right yeah, yeah. i that's, that's tried to forget forgettable. that one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well we we'll do. remind you in a few months when we uh, uh make it part of uh shamalamarama um, that one i'm not looking forward to <laughs> i'm pretty open-hearted i don't like Wahlberg, but uh we'll see whatever um cheese and crackers guys just just go with it okay um so so got to the end of it the first time and and um i will this is reductive had no context for the book at that point beyond that it was a book and an adaptation and i was very troubled by again what is a reductive phrase and i'll i'll say the phrase and then pivot away from it uh so as not to continue being reductive of what it felt like the movie was doing which is the crazies are right i was very troubled by that aspect of it because of what i watch in the world that we live in right now and and so was was deeply troubled by that i will you know we can reference them as the horsemen the prophets whatever you know like i can move away from that language but that was a deep problem for me of how i understood what the movie was trying to tell me so uh so that was my first experience and i watched this again the other night as i've tried to do with with all of these that that i 
the village I had no problem because I love the village deeply and without um, apology. Um, but the other films we've covered, Lady in the Water, Old, you know, my initial sort of negativity, I tried to be real open hearted towards this time around. Like, okay, let's, you know, no one wants to hear Nathan just groan about a movie for an hour and a half. So let's have some sensitivity. So went into this viewing a few nights ago, open. Um, and, and as brief interlude here, uh, what listeners don't know, I, I started down this path a moment ago and got sidetracked, but the lightning rod aspect of these Reed and I have actually, you know, we've been friends for 20 plus years at this point and, and know our landmines. And so had active conversations about like, okay, you know, uh, th- this, this, these conversations are about the material, not about each other. And, you know, like trying to be, cause I, I do know, and I say this with great affection. I know Reed loves glass. I've said to him, I'm like, Hey, if I, if I come down hard on glass, you know, I, I want people to have their honest takeaways, especially if they're positive, good should exist in the world. And so we went into this conversation of just like, okay, let's just hash it out a little bit. And, and, and really had a pre-conversation just us before, this. <laughs> um, you know, just, just cause, cause I needed him to hear me. So after this most recent viewing, uh, uh, knowing all that sort of like padding Reed and I have been trying to do to, uh, have these conversations. Um, I, I texted Reed because I was very, it's not too strong a word to say very distraught, uh, after this most recent viewing. Uh, and I, I texted him and I just said, being real with you. This is an incredibly well-made and designed and even performed film. But after two viewings, I feel like even trying to support Knock at the Cabin is a bridge I can't cross. Wow. I'm not at a place where I think its value outweighs its soul deep problems. And that may sound, you know, hyperbolic, but you know, that that was just I had such a the first viewing of it, it was more like, what am I watching? And you're just kind of understanding it as it's presenting itself, knowing what it is, and then rewatching it from the beginning with that in mind, I was very, again, heavy hearted, heavy weighed down by the end of it. And, and that text kickstarted about 48 hours of reading, not going back and forth, not in a negative way, just in a, like, let's talk it out way. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, had a, had a, had a, yeah, not explain. Um, uh, you know, had a phone call where Nathan got all teary and <laughs> I was like, man, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. this movie really messed me up and I don't like it. Uh, but not in a way that I found constructive or redemptive that, that yeah. is important. And, you know, let's do this. Let's do this. Cause I don't, I, I want us to have a little bit of didactics. Let's, let's do some that ain't rights. Um, lest we forget before Nathan gets all verklempt here, we are a horror show. So <laughs> if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, it is time for the part of the show we call. That sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> So here we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some of the aspects of this movie uh, textually or metatextually that we would describe as that ain't right. Brandon, you are our guest. You I want you to pick uh, you've you've imbibed both iterations of this text, um, you know, and, and kind of speak a little more broadly from that. But of the film, at least, 
what would you top the list as your that ain't right for this movie? I honestly I think um I, I've wavered between a big that ain't right and a small that ain't right. Yeah, okay. go big. If, if you mind if I do both, um no, small, go for it. Go ahead. Yes. The small yeah, that ain't it. right is I, I know Shyamalan has to do a, a Hitchcock appearance, but I thought his his little cameo as an infomercial air fryer That's seller hilarious. was <laughs> A little ridiculous in a point where I didn't want ridiculousness in the movie. Um, that's I, fair. I, yeah, that's I, fair. I, I thought yeah. it tonally was way off. But I guess my big that ain't right is Boogie Shoes. Um, <laughs> I was not okay with that as a resolution. I felt like yeah. if if we're going to go where Shyamalan wanted to take us, which is maybe this world is worth saving, I felt like I needed to see those two people devastated at the end mm, instead of um, saying man, I, I miss, I miss daddy, daddy, Andrew, but this is a really good song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Can fascinating. You say, say more a little bit. So I understand what you're trying to say. If, if they have decided this is worth yeah. saving, let me see them devastated. What, what do you mean there? That the whole point of the sacrifice is that it is devastating for them individually. This is not a better world mm-hmm. for the two of them. Right. And yeah. and in that final scene, I, I well, I, as we we kind of gestured to earlier, it's Shyamalan reaching towards hope and resolution too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, you know, we didn't have a they, they didn't break out into a smile and hug each other and or anything like that. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't quite that bad, but it was maybe boogie shoes means the world is an OK place. Right. Um, mm-hmm. that's how I read that, that final scene. And I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. So kind of echoing um, your sixth sense knock, uh, you yeah. might've said when may as well just said, tell me about daddy, Eric, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, daddy, Eric says, hi, yeah, that's, they that's, turn on the radio and there's daddy, Eric's voice or, yeah. you know, any number, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any yeah. number of things like that. Yeah. He's um, a spectral vision. He's like yeah. a forest ghost in the back. Yeah. Seat. Yeah. Like, it's like Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I, I felt like that, that moved well yeah that that if i'm going where Shyamalan wants to take me the message is the world is an okay place but maybe not for these two people after what they've been through and what they've been asked to sacrifice and that's what sacrifice really means (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reed why don't you you go next thank thank you for that brandon that was oh sure so i think my that ain't right is going to be you know pretty probably pretty on the nose is just the uh the 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 violence the four horsemen of the apocalypse transact upon each other though it never quite they don't show us you know like zoom in as many other horror films would and like oh let's let's absolutely see you know the blades entering the body and everything they always sort of pan away or pan below or you know they they have it slightly out of frame and you'll see just the the swing of the axe but you know not always the thing anyway it, it's always a little distanced, but it uh, it it rings as so visceral and is really upsetting. Uh, in the moment, it's very shocking. The fact that it's happening in front of them, uh, yeah, sure, they try to shield wind from it, but they can only shield so much. Like it's really uh, not visually so, but narratively so, supremely graphic. Um, and uh, and so that's something that you know, was, was a bit disturbing to me, like just unsettling in that sense. And what I would broadly define as, as that ain't right. Brandon, you, uh, uh, called out Leonard's death, which is very different from how that character exits in the book. Yeah. Um, and is 
the only exception to what I just cited. The first three mm-hmm. deaths I feel like are just like, oh my God, stomach just turns in knots when it's, I see it. With those homemade implements that they're using. Yeah, yes. just how medieval and brutal those those tools that they've created yes. are. Yeah. So, so barbaric. Whereas Leonard's has a different tone to it. It lands differently. He's yeah. um you know, he he chooses before he finally goes. You know, I think it starts with this whole I'd like to do this part outside, you know, yeah. and yeah. and sitting and he's meditative and he's reflective and and he kind of there's a there's a resignation to it that the first three deaths didn't have, especially the third death, because the third death is prompted somewhat accidentally. Um mm-hmm. but but yeah, like um I feel like those those first three particularly are just they're really uh upsetting. Um and yeah. uh, and so yeah, that was that's what I would broadly cite as that ain't right. Um Nathan, what's something for you? He just says the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you say that because I am staring at my notes right now and one of them says, I don't like this movie. Um <laughs> but but that's not what I was gonna say. So here's here's what's so weird to me. Like Y'all read on old you and Jackson made me check myself for a moment of the pace of old that we called breakneck and, and, and Mm -hmm. kind of overly propulsive, uh, to a fault. There was a moment where I was like, well, is this purposeful and, and in keeping with the, the spirit of life passes you by kind of quick. And, and I can give a little, you know, recognition to that concept. And so I'm trying again, I am working to be open hearted to which feels at odds with the distress I felt watching it this time, because what I can own is, you know, like a horror movie doesn't have to like hearten me. Like we we've, we've covered so much in six years here that it isn't the act of being distressed by a horror movie that is troubling to me here. Right. It is, like this word keeps coming up and read our conversation of because in, in trying to complete the circuit here of this comparison, if old is consciously propulsive because, Hey, life is fast. Is this consciously distressing from go because it's that smart? I am not there Mm -hmm. um, to, to, to give that uh, credibility. And so then this word of irresponsibility comes into play of like, I don't know because what almost started from the beginning for me this time around was active growing anxiety and, and just, I, I am not traumatized by this movie. That's an overstatement, but a, a sense of, 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 of that existential distress that I don't know is intentional to the level that I think it is actually present. Hence irresponsibility where I'm going with this long way away of getting to one of the most just heartrending aspects or, or sort of elements in the movie starts for me when I'm pretty sure I'm right here. Jonathan Groff is Eric. Other gentleman is Andrew, right? Yes, that's right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is when Eric be- begins his turn to to agreement that the it's 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 a bit creeping because and Reed I articulated some of this for you the other day like in some of the things I imbibe these days in terms of social commentary and and you know just 
you know, whether it's podcasts that people respect, a, a phrase that has sunk deep in my psyche, you know, is is deaths of despair. This idea of an increasing phenomena uh, in our society and culture of deaths of despair. Um, I don't know if y'all know this. There was some recent report recently that identified for the first time America's life expectancy has receded. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is now. I believe two in ten folks who will children now who will not hit. I think it was fifty years old, and that stat has now doubled. Right. In other words, that stat is a doubling of where it previously was, and right. it is because of you know a preponderance of the effect of things like social media on a culture and its youth things like access uh, uh, to to firearms and its effect on the psyche and on its little youth. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is not me making this up that uh, death by firearm is the leading cause of death in youth today. Mm-hmm. And so this, this concept, this concept of deaths of despair. And so what began to be what what was already the steady hum of existential distress watching at this time watching a character's will be eroded was was deeply distressing and troubling in the spirit of this because what's hard for me and this is all in the spirit of that right sure but and then a bit more heavy than pure didactic stuff but what's hard for me you know brandon you mentioned translation of things from across media and 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 i want to be sensitive because there is a world where entertaining thought experiments can play out in a genre fashion, right? Like, like, Hey, uh, in Tremblay's words to your anecdote there, I was interested, uh, uh, if, if home invaders, uh, uh, started dispensing, dispatching themselves, like, why would they do that? And now this whole sort of scenario has been built around that. Like, that's interesting. Like th- there's no denying that. But I think there is something, and again, this responsibility word come, coming up again, in, in when you take a small canvas that is designed for a particular rhythm of intake and can be, you know, and, and maybe I'm given a pass here, but like, there's something a little different to me about that than, okay, let's display on a big cinematic canvas using the tools of that medium, which is swelling music performance set design you know this beautiful child and now let's put these characters psyches and spirits through the absolute mm-hmm. wrist mill right of uh and and so exemplified by when eric goes into the bathroom to be tended to by sabrina i was like god this is this is too much like i mm-hmm. i'm not enjoying watching yeah. this uh, mm-hmm. And so that, that's a long-winded way, and and it's it in text, it's the erosion of Eric, um, but sort of metatextually, it's this distress I feel because of the culture we're living in of watching someone's otherwise intact will, right? His he and Andrew and Wynn, they are the movie goes out of its way to let you know this is a arguably, I think they use the word perfect sometimes comes up in the script. And so that's an overstatement, but <laughs> this is a healthy family unit, a good and healthy, stable unit intentionally drawn together by their own love. 
let's break it. Like that is awful and very hard to endure. Nathan, can I ask how you usually respond to home invasion horror? Like, what do you it's think of movies like Funny Games or even even mm-hmm. Us or something like that? It's it's funny you ask that because honestly, one of my if, in the in the history of doing um, the Fear of God, a movie that rose very high for me in my esteem, having just watched it for the show, was Strangers. I love Strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and talk about a bleak. Yes. Yeah, movie. Okay. Yeah. But, but you, you, you pose a, a, a very salient, important question. I think strangers knows what it's doing and I can, I can plug in yeah. and, and see it and recognize it and empirically absorb it and let my spirit sort of respond. Yeah. This is what I think is a bit troubling to me about how I at least receive knock at the cabin. I don't, it almost feels like, I'm not sure we know how devastating we're making these characters experience. Well, and the, the boogie shoes ending kind of supports that reading. Mm-hmm. Meaning what can you say? What? Um, just that for how, yeah, the, at the, at the very ending, we're putting a bandaid on things to where if it was as devastating as, as we were, we have experienced it as viewers, that wouldn't be possible. And well, the yeah. fact that Shyamalan thinks they can find resolution or that we as I, I guess I would argue we as an audience can find resolution through this song indicates that there might be a disconnect with with how he's viewing the material versus how we're experiencing it. Yeah, Let's, I think something. Well, I think something we can we're already out of that ain't right is what I would say. We don't have to formally <laughs> exit it. Let's just, you know, we'll just, yeah. go ahead and move, we'll just go ahead and move into it. But what I would say is that like um so, so Boogie Shoes landed slightly differently for me, and I actually agree with everything that's been said. I agree with what you said, Brandon. I agree with what you're scratching at, Nathan, as well, about Boogie Shoes is a Band-Aid. It's that, that's all it is. That, that moment is a Band-Aid. The reason it landed a little differently for me is because I think, never had a conversation with the man, obviously, but I think Shyamalan is trying to communicate some version of I keep resisting using the phrase the power of love because of Huey Lewis and Celine Dion. But like I like hey, the, those are some bangers, okay? So <laughs> some great songs. Some great songs. Um but I think Shyamalan is trying to communicate something about the power of love to be able to override this titanic swell of all of these other things. Now, what I don't think is I don't think it is that simple. Where the record scratches for me is that I kind of agree with the sentiment, but it is not as trite as that expression is. And I think that is what, again, my record scratches in the reverse. It's like, I can see what he's doing, and it's like, I, or, or at least what I think he's trying to do, which is, yeah, like, isn't, isn't it incredible that... Um, Somebody can be selfless because I will say this. I think something that the film does deliberately that I don't remember being in Tremblay's book is I don't think Eric makes the decision he makes for the world. I think he makes it for Andrew. And Wiz. Yeah, I think you're right. That he, that he makes it because he sees them progressing into old age. He sees, you know, he, 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 I didn't write it down and probably should have, but he makes a speech to Andrew about, he sees that she's loved 
and you know that she, that she's loved the way that they love each other and and that that love you know carries on and i mean not for nothing i'm gonna say I, I, I did find that pretty moving and i felt like what i was what i was trying to indicate earlier that Shyamalan does better with sort of when when things get intimate and when things get microcosmic i think he he navigates that a little bit better than he does when things explode out so how i read boogie shoes was a a sort of a a reach across the horizon to remind them to keep going like hey i saw uh so for instance if we're gonna buy that eric is cosmically sending uh you know a note to them it's one of those things that's like hey i made my decision so that you would be what i saw in my vision go be what i saw in my vision and don't necessarily you know but like i don't Again, don't think that that's necessarily something that uh, is is mature or that it's very well, you know, that it's very well structured. I have to be honest with myself that it is a sentiment that resonates with me. Like, uh, and and I said this a little bit to Nathan before we talked. Um, a novel that means a lot to me, and it's too plot heavy for me to go into it right now, especially in a conversation about Knock at the Cabin, but. Uh, probably my second or third favorite novel ever is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. I love that book. For anybody who has never uh, read that book, I'm about to broadly spoil the ending, but without specifics, it's still a great book. Go read it. Um, But it takes place in the French Revolution when the peasants had had enough of uprising or of the, the oppression of the aristocracy. They rose up. Uh, and they overthrew, they stormed the Bastille, they overthrew the, the, the aristocracy, and they held a bunch of mock trials where they would basically, on little to no evidence, they would send a mountain of people to the guillotine. This was all a historical truth uh, or like a historical thing that happened. But in Dickens' novel, there is a character who we, the reader, have come to know, even though he came from aristocracy, he's a benevolent and good-hearted person. He's a, he's a good character. And towards the end of that novel, he stumbles into a trap that is being laid for him uh, because he's an aristocrat. And so he thinks he's going to rescue somebody and walks right into a death trap. Well, then there's a lot of suspenseful goings on that I'm going to fast forward through and not not, uh, share details of because it's just not prudent to time. Um, So he's stuck in this trap. We as the reader love this character. He's stuck. He can't get out. Lots of plot twists, lots of ups, downs, backs and forth. He's going to die, period. He's going to die. And at the end of that novel, a character is uniquely positioned to be able to make a selfless sacrifice and be able to position themselves to take on the pain of death and suffering. And at the end of that novel, that character who is making that selfless sacrifice sees somewhat prophetically into the future and sees that the choice he is making will be a domino that will then ripple out and ultimately undermine all of the bloodshed, all of the, it, it will ultimately like the choice he's making. He comes to peace because he says I, this, this is a, a single action I'm making, but I can see that this will turn the tide, uh, you know, over time. And that's where he gets the very, very famous, final line of that novel it's a far far better thing that i'm doing now than i've ever done before you know yes exactly um and so uh that's that's something that you know dickens is certainly a better writer than m night Shyamalan. i don't think it's a hot take to say that <laughs> so <laughs> but um but i feel like that is something that Shyamalan is in his way trying to point towards that it's just like 
you know, that there is this, there is this way in which, you know, a selfless act done for the people that we love might have world shaking consequences. Does he earn that? I, I don't, I think that's pretty open for debate and, and largely landing on the side of no, I don't think he earned that. But I think that's what resonates with me is that I feel like that's what he's pointing to, or that's what he's trying to kind of communicate for, for, for me anyway. So um, in some way, I feel like we should apologize to Brandon for basically inviting him on to be a mediator between <laughs> Fogger's two dads. But, but it's interesting, Reed, because that point feels like it ties off a little bit because you didn't mean to, perhaps, Brandon, but your question about home invasion stories writ large, you know, is, is still lingering in my brain. And it's funny because I told Reed, I love so deeply the scene in the film, the initial boogie shoes. Like this is just, I love these people. Like, yeah. let me go on yeah. a journey with these people. I don't yeah. totally feel like I get that, but, and what I said to him, I said, give me that home invasion story. Like just do, do that. Now I'm not wishing them unwell as how a home invasion story might go, but like, that's more interesting to me because these are who I want to see uh, uh, engage some some truthful truthfulness in their universe, and to 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 layer onto uh, now. Reed and I've gone back and forth on this, and and I I will give Reed some credit here that you know what I'm applying to the text isn't explicitly stated, though I do feel it's pretty strongly implied just by its imagery. It's not just home invasion that I can sort of live with it's let's layer the erosion of will uh let's 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 make its impetus the will of god to to thwart apocalypse that is where i am at an impasse i'm like mm -hmm. and 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 you used this word earlier i would not have known to use it but by your description i am kantian i am the one who will say this is this is not and 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 I'm not just lip servicing you here, Reed. Though that sounds more homoerotic than I mean to necessarily. But who, you know, hey, we've been I'm, friends a long time. I'm, I'm um, here for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you made a point to me, and 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 that point is well taken. That the movie doesn't, and I don't know if the book does, but the movie doesn't explicitly state this is an act of God. But I, I think where mm -hmm. that falls apart is not from your perspective there but it is so heavily using imagery traditionally applied culturally to apocalypse armageddon these are right, things right. associated with this type of storytelling so and there's a world where you could say well nathan that was your takeaway too there, aren't you an idiot like the the least the easiest takeaway from this film is god is orchestrating wrath god mm -hmm. is pouring out his wrath here's the thing that's going to unlock uh, abate it like mm -hmm. like it is an easy takeaway because all the puzzle pieces are there. Uh, whether that through line is explicit and textual, sure, we can we can sort of quibble about that. And so it isn't for me inherently, hey, I don't like home invasion. They make me queasy or, or unsettled. It is like, let's take these people you really love, uh, break them down and apply it to the will of visions, yeah. mysticism that naturally an audience member is going to attach and associate to god and and this is you know everyone feel free to chime in as you want but and and so it's almost like the scale is too weighted you know like reed you're right like there's something lovely not just sentimentally but something lovely about the the reiteration of boogie shoes but weighed against what they got pitted against 
it's a it's kind of a joke that's not me dismissing your thought because it's lovely but it's kind of like who cares like they may as well take them brandon you feel so i i just I, I find it's really really interesting i'm kind of teasing out and pushing on this idea of of how um knock at the cabin is and is not a conventional home invasion movie yeah um for me i, I think of of um michael haneke's funny games um, as like yeah. the bleakest most bare bones devastating home invasion movie i i know of i don't know if you let's queue it up and we'll put it in the list no i've not (laughs) seen it yeah and and it really is is these these people slowly breaking down the will of this family until there's just nothing left at the end um it is it's nihilistic um and there are all sorts of questions about what whether haneke is being serious enough he's clearly trying to make a comment on violence but also kind of enjoying it at the same time mm-hmm. um, it's problematic in all sorts of ways but at the same time it's also just basic this is a story about this family and this really terrible thing happened to them and it lets you sit and think with that for a while yeah. so so if i'm i'm hearing you and and reading reading correctly it would seem like that would be more easily digestible for you than than knock at the cabin because the emotions are are honest are straightforward are uh, just what they are yeah is that is that yeah well and it's tough if you haven't seen the movie well no but i can i can i can follow what you're putting down there and, and 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 ascertain it 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 is you know we watch all kinds of bleak stuff on here with with semi routine and and it isn't it isn't an inherent bleakness to a story that that troubles me or at least i know i'm being troubled by this aspect of it what is what what is always going to be a struggle for me and 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 what this one did well i'll i'll read my note here and it just why are we so discontent and dissatisfied with the god who rescues all i mean like it isn't inherently home invasion tropes that that trouble me yeah. it's when you attach plight and and uh you know harm in the name again i'm using the word god that the movie doesn't perhaps but again i feel like it's it's I'm, kind of yeah I'm, I'm with you i think the implication is is strongly there and I, adding to it i said i feel like we're too enthralled by apocalypse like man just <laughs> you know yeah. like because you know, because what what feels hard to your Haneke funny games, is that the name of it? Yeah. Funny yeah. games. It's yeah. like you can you can digest that and be like, hey, I think he overindulges here on this thing. Uh there is an honesty. You, you use that word, and I think there's something true about that. Whereas yeah. in this, I think the honesty gets lost in the in the wrath and and the bombast like what i want to be true for these characters doesn't feel true as the movie displays it yeah yeah and i feel well and one of the things that i struggle with i did share this with nathan offhand uh but when when COVID 19 hit um i because of the circles that i came from growing up in family and that you know to a certain degree are still connected to with many of my friends lots of conversation emerged about COVID 19 as a, a judgment from God. And and I, I don't know where everybody sits on this, so, so I'll just express for myself. Um, I pushed back consistently and pretty heavily against that ideology. I, just speaking for myself, I profoundly disagree with anything that would take 
you know, uh, especially on global scales, you know, like I'm even troubled by, you know, when people talk about natural disasters and calling them acts of God and everything, I'm just, I, I uh, not trying to waste people's time, but like, I, I, I think a lot about the scripture where it says the rain falls on the just and the unjust and, uh, and you know, the sun shines and, and it's basically like, Hey, things are just going to happen. And the presence and the, the, the activity of that is a lot more specific in terms of God's participation in everything. And that, you know, that's a theological debate that could definitely be had. I'm, I'm certainly open to that, but back to my point, I pushed back a lot against when people kept trying to find like reasons for the profound tragedy. Yeah. And uh, I remember it had came up a lot uh, when 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, there was a lot of people saying like, well, where was God when the towers fell? And a lot of the conversation, something that resonates a lot with me is that like, well, his presence is in the first responders and in people trying to help. And, and that's, that's a lot of what that motivating factor is, is in trying to, you know, trying to rescue, trying to to abate, trying to avoid it. And I think, Nathan, you raise a really, really good point that there's an incongruity when we, tr- we try to reconcile all the wrathful, terrible things that are happening. And then this, this perhaps strange means of trying to stop it and trying to avoid it um, and how any of that possibly, you know, would work. Stepping a little bit, we don't have the time or, or, or maybe even the, the you know, space to, to fully get into this is, you know, I, I can't ignore the, mm, this is going to sound like I'm leading to an altar call, so just let me give me the room. <laughs> to um, I think a lot about the cross, and I'm not, for listeners who may think otherwise, I'm not heading to some big salvific sort of thing. I think a lot about just that action and its power to break death by surrendering to death. And it is, it is something that I don't even have, despite years and years of, of thought and study, the, you know, I don't, I don't have a place where I could sit down and tritely or succinctly say like, oh, well, this is the cosmic significance. This is the practical significance. This is the, I think it's just too big. I think, I think it's just way too big. But what it does position for me is it positions me to wrestle with the ways in which um, self-sacrifice has a power I don't think we fully understand. Now, does that mean, you know, boogie shoes can stop the apocalypse? No, of course, of course, that's not what it means. But I feel like, especially what what else? I'll bring it back to pandemic. What else happened in pandemic is the argument began to become about people who began to fight for their rights instead of considering their impact on other people. And there was a real raging debate about like, well, no, I have a right to do what I want to do. And it's like, well, well, yes, but can we talk about the potential impact and can we talk about the potential spread and all these other kinds of conversations? And so perhaps part of my dialogue with Knock at the Cabin is is less about the ramifications of God's involvement in it and more about the ramifications of the power of selfless choices and how much power do those choices really have. And that's uh, I think that's part of what I'm, I haven't landed anywhere, but I think that's part of what I'm wrestling with when I walk away from is I'm like, is it possible that a selfless choice can potentially turn the tide on a devastating amount of wrongs? Um, maybe it is. Maybe that's... Mm-hmm fairy tale. Um, but I, I just, 
you know, pandemic did a number on me in terms of looking around at, at, at people and things and, and thinking through that and, and all of the theological language that often gets leveraged and weaponized to try to coerce people to make certain choices. Um, but, but a sense of kind of putting yourself in a debased position, certainly not like, you know, knock at the cabin is like, hey, Eric, you have to die so that everybody else, you know, that's very heightened language. And that's not necessarily what I'm describing. But saying, hey, um, I can put myself in a, you know, lower position so that maybe other people have a chance at making it and surviving it and getting through, um, then maybe that does have more power than we are willing to admit because right. there's a, a growing pervasive sort of thought that's like, I got this one life. I need to make sure I protect it for myself, and I got to make sure that I, you know, that I that that I take care of my own and stuff like that. And I think there's a contrast to that that would say, if I put my needs secondarily aside, what would the impact be? Broadly speaking, if I put my needs secondarily aside, um, I think I said on our conversation, and I'll shut up for the moment. Uh, is I said on our, our initial conversation, the patron segment for uh, Black Phone, that. While I'm very offended by the idea of coercing a sacrificial choice, I'm very inspired by learning that a sacrificial choice had a lot of value. So, um, so, so I'm very troubled by, hey, make this sacrifice for the greater good. When somebody has made a sacrifice and they get to look at the fruit that, that benefited from their sacrifice, that is inspiring and moving to me. I do think those are two very different things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's, here's, here's, that's here's a, a question for Brandon, just cause I want to give him an opportunity, but it's also spawned by your, your thoughts here, Reed, because what keeps coming to me and why I was struggling with my imagery of like the weight pressed against, uh, when Eric and Andrew is, is it even a real choice? Like, hmm. like that I really wrestle with of like, you know, is this a true choice for them? Like, like. And this is where maybe the translation from book to film gets, it loses what is interesting about the questions. Yeah. That was, that was my first thought that the, the book seems to argue that it really is a real choice because they cho chose not to mm -hmm. um, with all of the, the repercussions and consequences that come with that. Yeah. Yeah. That maybe it doesn't deserve to, Maybe it doesn't deserve to survive if that's truly how it operates. Um, and uh, and yeah, there's there's a certain anarchy that 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 arises from that. But also, I mean, God, sometimes I can relate. Look, I mean, like I'm just you know gonna gonna be real about that. I'm not certainly talking about global ramifications, but there are some man-made, fabricated systems that I look at and be like. I don't know that I want to keep sustaining this system. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, you know? for, me, for me, one of the things the movie really forces me to reflect on, I, I, I think about my participation in capitalism. I think about mm -hmm. how, how my taxes go to fund the U.S. military. Right. Um, I, I think about, about my position in the history of U.S. colonialism and genocide. Yeah. Um, my life is a part of all of those systems. Yeah, Exactly. Um, and I, I think being troubled by that is a pretty rational response. We should be troubled by that. No, I, lo I love how you put that, Brandon, because I do think we don't grapple enough with the state we find ourselves in. And we don't have the luxury 
many people steal the luxury, mm-hmm. but we, yeah. we, don't, we don't morally have the luxury to ignore it. We, we do have a certain um, impulse, a certain uh, kind, of, kind of weight, a, gra- a gravity that pulls upon us that says, you, you need to reckon with some of these decisions. Like You need to reckon with your participation in this. And I think that's, you know, it's like the other, ar- the other side of the argument that I hear all the time to exactly what you just described is, well, I'm one dude. Sure. I'm one, I'm one dude. Keep, so what am I going to do? You know, have you ever read Ursula Le Guin's short story? The ones who walked, walked away from Omalas. This is what I, I kept it thinking of. Doesn't ring a bell. I've read some of, I've read quite a bit of Le Guin's work. It's but a, that it's story a, very, by title doesn't it's a really short story. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't mind a spoiler, cause it's so nope. relevant to this conversation. The basic yeah, premise is there is this perfect society, Omalas. Most mm-hmm. of the story is a description of how wonderful it is and how everybody's happy. Yeah. But, on your 18th birthday, you have to go to this house where there is a kid locked in a closet. And this kid spends his whole life in this closet being abused, being starved, being it, this kid is miserable. And yeah. you have to look at this kid. And you know that Omalas can only exist because this kid is in this closet. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at it and see him and then go on and live the rest of your life in this perfect society. And the story ends with this idea that, well, there are some people who look and then walk away and they wander this wasteland outside of Omalas because they don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, And that, that allegory um, to me is, is highly relevant to, to what particularly Kevin at the end of the world, maybe more so than knock at the cabin. um, The book is asking us to think through. Um, We have all, we know that child is there in our society. And mm-hmm. we've looked at it and then we go back to living our lives because yeah. the alternative is, is pretty frightening to, to yeah. give up everything to, yeah, we're just, I, I'm just one guy. My choice would have no real effect on the system itself. Yeah. And I want to, so, I want, I, maybe that's what, like a lot of times what happens in these conversations is I will enter it with a question and leave with maybe some version of, of different conclusion. I think for myself, I want to believe that the you're just one person is BS. Mm, I I want to believe that Eric can make a choice and save the world. I want to believe that. I love it. Yes. Like, I I don't know that it's true, but I think part of why I resonate a little differently with this film is because, yeah, you've just laid out the way I wish it worked, Mm. is, is I wish one person could make the right choice one freaking time and it'll be better and i the think only, part of yeah go ahead i no, I, I i hear that and I, I it's a lovely idea i feel like the only problem with that in Shyamalan's movie is that that eric makes this one choice and then everything goes back to the way it, it used to be it just normalizes <laughs> yes yeah, 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 we, we just yeah. perpetuate the, the system yeah that is super prescient no I'm, I'm glad you said that because yeah that that's different. and he even says what if families have been doing this all through time? Like that is yeah. some shit right there. Yeah. I am not behind this. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty jacked up. And, and I think that getting back to, to the subject of, of the cross. Um, and I, I you know, I, I know we're getting a little late. I want to be mindful of your time there, Brandon. I just love this conversation so much, but, um, the, but like, you know, getting back to that, it's like, that is something that I, that I do want, you know, that I also have to grapple with 
in terms of faith and theology is, yes. you know, the, there, there's a theological undercurrent of what I just expressed about Eric. I want somebody to make the, the right choice the one time to, to make that choice and break the power of death. Well, as a, as a Christian, I'm not trying to preach a sermon here right now. As a Christian, that's, that has been told to me. And it has, it has been said, the gospel, the, you know, in, in so many words, the gospel, the good news is that the one man made the right choice the one time and broke the power of sin and death. So go and rejoice, you know, and, and there is a certain degree to where I love what's emerged in this conversation about if it is merely a perpetuating cycle built upon the backs of other individuals to keep things normal and stasis to hell with that. But if there's a possibility that we could really grapple down into the power of selfless choices to potential sa- to potentially save the world, then maybe that is something we need to spend more time with. Not by watching Knock at the Cabin necessarily, but by just meditating on the power of a selfless choice to possibly save the world um, is something that maybe um, you know is worth our time and our meditation when we look at the impact that we might have in our little microcosms in our, in our little spaces um, until I get really invigorated by that kind of, <laughs> you know, well, my, you know, my, my big, you know, second favorite movie of all time is it's a wonderful life, you know, and this man who is begrudgingly dragged through a myriad of choices he wouldn't have done comes to the end of it and realizes how many people in the community whose lives he made better. And, you know, that's, it's an important value to me, but I've talked a lot, <laughs> but, um, Nathan, I, uh, you know, at, at pretty much at any given moment, we could pivot to Shamios or fog meter, but I don't want to leave the conversation until, you know, either we, you know, we all feel like we can ready to progress there. You know, I, 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 I want to give you some space, uh, for a minute. You know, you make such a crucial and critical and, significant point brandon that i hadn't considered that just makes me dislike it even more of just what have we saved yeah. you know mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and which isn't meant to be a dispensing with human life is a good thing but you know you see these calamities occurring but it's a very uh read you you made the note of stealing luxury and ignoring the moral or walking away from Oh, oh, Omalas, 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 yeah. And how what's frightening is is so that 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 allegory of Omalas conjured for me this this hey look upon the thing that will the the disfigured horrified thing that we keep that way in order to perpetuate our our you know uh, broken systems that we all benefit from. I don't know. I'm going to do it, but I'm in North Carolina. And if you pay attention to any headlines, North yesterday was a pretty bleak day politically yeah. for the state uh, and arguably beyond the state and my wife uh, and, and, and we have three daughters, um, Brandon, I don't know if you know that or not. And so, you know, these things ring a bit more resonant uh, in that family makeup. And for anyone unaware, you know, what was, uh, previously a 20 week ban on abortion has now become a 12 and anyone who wants to claim states rights, I'll call them a fool. Uh, and you know, this was never about that. 
because that means honoring will of the people, at least on a certain level. And that's not what's happening. But what my wife sent me was footage from the, I presume, North Carolina State House or wherever these, whatever building these votes happen in. And just this ring of women around the sort of public space, weeping and crying shame to these men who are rendering verdicts on things that will not affect them. Uh, and and just that Omalas idea of look at what you're doing, stare it in the face, and then just kind of ignore it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not just kind of like actively and, and not only ignore it, but there's a likelihood of continuing to, to pursue even stricter and more restrictive aspects to, to harm the Oma lost child. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I want to be a fan of, in this case, Reed's take on knock at the cabin and, and don't get me wrong. I understand Reed, you, you wouldn't say this movie is worth championing across the board and, and, Right. So I'm not right. saying that. I want to get on board with you there. I just think the holes in it are so big uh from a from a ethics and responsibility point of view as I as I observed it. Um that it's just it's just kinda it's just not fun. And and you know, <laughs> I don't need all my entertainment to be fun. I don't need all the things I uh, culture I enjoy to be fun, but I want it at least to be uh truthful and consistent in its truthfulness um i'm not sure this one gets there so that was a shall we shall we shammy i read i mean (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna take two seconds to invite brandon i'm good i've said my piece if you had anything brandon that you wanted to toss in there now's the time otherwise we'll do our final ratings and close it down how you feeling no i i feel like i have successfully mediated between the (laughs) two of you and and i'm remembering um so spinal tap i i was in a band in high school so i grew up watching this movie over and over again there's one scene where derek small the bass player says well I'm I'm fortunate that I'm in a band where we have two distinct types of visionaries. We have fire and 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 ice, and I feel like my role is to be in the middle of them, kind of like lukewarm water. <laughs> so I've been lukewarm water tonight. <laughs> well, oh. We are thankful for that. I don't know if you are thankful what, for that role. What but, an uh, aspiration! <laughs> what an aspiration! Oh, to be oh to be lukewarm water. Brandon's gonna go back to all the people he might have mentioned us to and be like ah. I don't know. These guys got some trouble. Oh, I love this. Know? Was a great conversation. <laughs> I really um, loved it. I, I'm I'm happy to hear that. It was for me too. I mean, honestly, like I feel like, uh, yeah, this is what our ratings will reflect to a certain degree. I feel like, regardless of the merits or not of this film, I feel like talking about it bears a lot of fruit, especially with people as yes. as as thoughtful and and uh, intelligent and and just good-hearted as the pair of you are and i'm very grateful to be in this conversation with you um so we have two little ratings that we're going to get to and we're going to wind to a close on this conversation the first one is unique to shamalamarama and that is we are rating the presence of the director in his own films in a unique unique format we call the shamio so what we're going to (laughs) do is uh on a scale of one to five we are going to rate or zero to five. Yes. Uh, we are going to rate M. Night Shyamalan's role in Knock at the Cabin based on the amount of screen time he gets and the amount of plot relevance. Obviously, the lower the number, the less of all of those things. Since Brandon is new to this game, he played Fog Meter with us last time, but since Brandon is new to this little rating system, Nathan, you and I will go first, even though he's our mm-hmm. guest. Um, and so what I'll do is, uh, Nathan, I'll invite you first 
to uh, what is uh, your ratings for both his screen time and his plot relevance for this shamio in here? Um, well, it is funny. You, you make a good point that tonally, this is a very inappropriate moment, but I think I was so desperate for an oasis in this friggin' <laughs> apocalyptic hellscape desert. I was like, oh, I love this woman. Uh, look, there he is. Um, uh, I will give plot relevance a zero, uh, which is a new <laughs> choice for me here. Uh, mm-hmm. Screen time. This is this is always going to be a bit of a moving target here, but he is fully in view. Uh, he is fully present. Uh, he you hear his voice like these are he is in it. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I'm going to give a two uh, for screen time uh, on the zero to five Shamio scale. So zero for plot relevance um, two for screen time. I will join you on your zero for plot relevance. The, <laughs> the the infomercial has absolutely n- nothing to do with what's happening in the moment. And to Brandon's point, is is kind of distracting. Um, but uh, I'm going to go only with a one for screen time because, like, he's not physically present in there. He's on the TVs a little distance. Yes, you can see him, but you know that's so. So yeah, zero for plot relevance, and I'll give him a one for actual screen time. Brandon. Uh, what would you give it? Certainly zero for plot relevance. Can I give one bonus point for the creativity of getting a cameo in what's basically, you know, a home invasion chamber drama? Yeah, so sure, that we would give it a give it a two for screen time because you yes. have to work hard to get him in there at all. I think that's I think that's great. <laughs> Conversations <laughs> happen to make that to figure that one out. <laughs> it's it's indeed true. And this is a first. We give this Shamio uh, a point eight. It's not even a whole point. <laughs> so, um, so yes, We're generous. We can round up to a one. Yes. Uh, so, uh, oh, no, because we might have others that land out of one. So we're going to rate fair. these at the end. Okay. Of this. So, okay. so I'm giving it a point eight three uh, for the Shamio. Um, <laughs> um, so but the other uh, measurement that we use and Brandon, you did participate with this when we did uh, the black phone is the yeah. fog meter with fog meter. We rate these films on their not on their quality, but on their gravity. Um, how heavy they are, how scary they are, how substantive they are. Um, so that's what the fog meter uh, measures, kind of the thickness of the film. So um, on a scale of zero to 10 for the fog meter, um, I, I'm, I'm once again to, you know, let him sort of dust off his uh, his uh, thoughts there. Nathan, I'll let you go first. We'll circle around to Brandon and then we'll snake back around. So Nathan, go ahead. And what would you give M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin for fear and then go ahead and do your god meter as well what would you give it for fear and for god um i wouldn't have done these rankings after the first viewing so my feelings have evolved a bit here or or hardened um Mm. um i would say fear i'm gonna give it a 10 I, i think it it actively distressed me in the watching of it it left me unsettled um you know i i am not uh, this is a generous 10 because I don't really know that the movie is quite aware of how actively it does what it does. Um, but, you know, between the just the imagery, the violence, uh, the the bearing witness to violence, the again, as I mentioned, erosion of will and just the the overall the overall vibe of it uh, and at least its impact on me. I'm going to go with the 10 um, on God. You know, I, I, it's funny, I actively went looking up a few excerpts uh, from this, but there's a book that I referenced pretty heavily early in the life of the fear of God called A More Christ-Like God by a gentleman named Brad Jerzak. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of needed it. 
because I feel like the God of this film is not one worth, uh, is, is not one worth even considering, um, you know, kind of, uh, assenting to. And so for me in the spirit, you know, getting as, as heavy as these might've gotten in a minute, uh, on the God meters of zero, I, I don't, I don't uh-huh. see God present here. Um, I think for a movie that again, I think thinks it's, it's, it's positioning, and an arbiting force and and how we can uh, actively uh abate that force i just don't i, I don't find it here mm-hmm. he is not here well, <laughs> he's ichabod um so what i would uh say from my measurements fear i'm not going to go quite as far as you though i will go pretty high i'm gonna land at an eight for me for fear um it it is pretty harrowing uh, subject-wise and insulated to the narrative. Now, approaching the God Meter a little bit differently for myself is I've I've had nothing but rewarding conversations about the film. That may be in spite of the film rather than because of it, but I've had a lot of uh, really thought-provoking conversations about the film, both you know in in our Facebook group and uh, or you know like I've I've been privy to some of those and then talking with a few people afterwards so that that's going to carry some weight for me but I agree with you about some of the irresponsibility which dings it down a little bit for me so where I'm going to land on the god meter is at a 6 I feel like there's a lot of things that are on its mind that I think it handles uh not in the most mature or responsible way but they're there and when they are engaged by mis- mature thoughtful and responsible people you might get quite a bit out of that that's that's worth reflecting that's my takeaway on that so i'm gonna land on a six at the god meter uh brandon zero to ten for both fear and then for god meter for yourself what you think for for fear i would give it an eight Mm -hmm. um i i found myself gripped while i'm watching it um continuing to think about it afterwards but I, i do feel like the ending um, tries to soothe my existential angst over it in mm-hmm. a way that that bumps it down a little bit. Um, yeah, Shyamalan blinks like he always does. Oddly, so this this might be my my spicy take for the night. Might be that old for me is one of the few movies where he doesn't. He has that that silly over explanation at the end, but I also think he lets you sit with the gravity and the reality of the events mm. that that went through that you just. Yeah. Went so anyway, yeah, yeah. tangent, but um, no, so yeah. eight for eight for fear for for knock at the cabin, uh, mostly because of the the way it veers away from its logical conclusions at the end. Um, sure. For the God meter, I I feel like um, I, I can certainly affirm that it, the God it presents is one that is not worth worshiping, not one mm-hmm. I I want to see in church, but also one that I continually to struggle with um, yeah. one that I yeah. see reflected in, in passages of, of the Bible and in, in both mm-hmm. testaments. Um, I, I feel like a lot of my work has been trying to think through why would we ever include depictions of God that are this mean and, and terrifying right. in our sacred right. texts. And yeah. for me, anything that can help us think through that and approach that is, is valuable, even if it's, mm. Um, so I, I guess I'd give it a seven for the, mm. the God meter. Um, I certainly uh, read. I think your your point is spot on that it doesn't always handle these questions as maturely as you you wish they mm-hmm. would. Yeah. Um, but yeah. raising those questions gets a, a lot from me. So seven yeah. for the God meter. No. Very fair. Oh, so that so means- no one, no one where both of you landed. We 
I'd like us to do this last part outside. Okay. <laughs> really, really good. Really good. No more comeback. mediator, huh? Really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the time so, has come. <laughs> so that means that we give Knock at the Cabin a six and a half on the fog meter, which I think is pretty appropriate to its gravity. Um, and I think, you know, listeners could probably discern at this point what we're, what we're generally going to say, but now the, the other prescient question is, would you recommend it? Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you. Uh, would you recommend knock at the cabin to people? Um, I, I would recommend it as, as I, I think I, similar to our conversation with black phone recommend with caveats, because I think there are a lot of, of people for whom this would be troubling and just not anything they wanted to wade in into at all, even either content wise or, or theology wise. So sure. I, I want to make sure I knew who I was recommending it to. Yeah. <laughs> but I think for audi- the right person, I would recommend it. Yeah. I think, I think audience makes a, a big deal. Uh, I would not give an unqualified recommendation to this. I would, sure. I would certainly, I have known more so than any other of his films, more so than any other film he has ever made. I have known a lot of people who specifically cited a very uh, harrowing and 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 upsetting experience watching the movie. So that's enough to yeah. that that's enough to give me pause on any regard. So um, so that having been said, I do think that you know for the right stomach, uh, maybe not right stomach, but for a stomach that can handle it, and for a stomach that can handle wrestling with the thoughts that are there, um, and for anybody who wants to just absorb all of Shyamalan's catalog, sure. But perhaps more so than any other of the films. That we're going to hear, it is a huge qualifier to that recommendation. It is, uh, it has the potential to be devastatingly upsetting, and I think that should be known before any version of recommendation proceeds. Um, Nathan, I think I know what your answer is, but I'm gonna let you give it <laughs> wholeheartedly. Um, <laughs> no, I have a choice, a real one, and mm-hmm. I'm going to choose that. No, I would not recommend this. I think it's, um, it's just, it's got it's to me it's just conversations conversations like this lend value to the experience of having watched it i I don't know that the experience of watching it is kind of worth uh much beyond that and so thus from a casual standpoint and or even really a qualified standpoint it's beautiful like i love batista i think all these performers are capable um you know that's it's beautifully shot it looks great like you know, it, it just feels like for the con- for the subject matter, it wants to be about. It just doesn't know how to do it uh, to me. And that's a pretty, pretty tough nut to crack for something. Uh, I'm so I'm so glad you brought up Batista. The one thing that I just love about this film is I, I just I love Batista. I watched him when he was in WWE. I was a big fan of him then. And then, like seeing <laughs> seeing how he has emerged and grown as an actor, I think he delivers a just absolutely excellent performance. He's here. really perfect in that role. I can't, yeah. can't imagine anybody else pulling it off the way he did. Yeah, yeah, he's just wonderful in the role. And I just I just love how he the choices he's making as an actor uh, to to yeah. further his craft and, and pedigree. And so, yeah, I'm I'm really glad you, glad you brought him up, Nathan, because that is one aspect Good. of this. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, all right. Well, Brandon, I thank you so much, man. Absolutely. This was wonderful. Thank you having so you much back. for having me on. I love these yeah. conversations with you too. No, thank you so much. That, that we're privileged to have you and 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 very, very much appreciate your time here. Um, Nathan, thank you for uh I'll, I'll just this was really one of my favorite conversations that we've had in a while, even though I know it was fraught with a lot of subject matter, but it's really wonderful. Um 
next week, everybody, we're going to be going to... <laughs> so brace yourselves, everybody. Um, next week, we are going I to be going remember. To, uh, to one of the ones that... Uh, Listen, it's Shamalamarama, which means we're gonna we're gonna cover everything, and that includes <laughs> that includes uh, After Earth, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, <laughs> uh, I know. Next week, With we are going starting to be- negative charisma, man. <laughs> it's so it's so get cold. his name out your mouth. <laughs> so never gets yes, old. <laughs> it never gets old. Next week, we are going to be as a primary film. We are going to be holding our hands together and visiting a far off planet with After Earth. And then, um, also for the patrons, uh, make sure you catch up with the uh, next the episodes four through six of season two of Servant uh, for the patrons only. It won't be in the main episode, but uh, if you're following along. In the patron segments, episodes four through six of season two of Servant. And then uh, we will tackle After Earth together in uh, Shyamalama Rama. Brandon, thank you again so much. I know it's late for you. Thank there. you, Brandon. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Uh, you. Nathan, thank you as always. And listeners, thank you as well. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and to be on your way rejoicing. And we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.